well, everybody, we're live here trying to figure out how the heck a 90-year-old can actually go to space and come back. Kudos to Shatner. Anyways, <laughs> that's not the show we're here about. We're here for Disrupt TV. You're in the green room, and we're going to do some quick introductions with our guests. Uh, we'll start with Neha, go to Shep, and then go to Andrew, and uh, we'll do some quick introductions. Neha, where are you calling in from? What are you talking about today? I'm calling from sunny California, but it has been kind of freezing here. So uh, I think Ooh. we've swapped places with the East Coast right now. Um, so I am Neha Merchandani. I'm the CMO and head of people at BrightPlan. We are a fintech company that is democratizing access to financial wellness for everyone. And today I'll be putting a spotlight on an important issue we're faced with as employers, as well as as a community at large. We're seeing record number of employees leaving the workforce, a trend that has been termed the great resignation, which is creating a hiring and retention crisis. And I'd like to discuss the connection between employee engagement and well-being, and what we can do to better support our employees and drive business success. So great to be here today. Thank you. Very, very cool. Thank you for being here. Shep, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, man, I'm here to talk about a new book. I'll be back. How to get your customers to come back again and again. And uh, Valo was so kind to endorse the back of the book. His name's on there. What a kind man he is. Hey, and I'm excited because that's, uh, you know, without a business or without a customer, you don't have business. It's that simple. Naya knows without employees, you might not have a business either. But if you want to do anything with a business, you have to have a customer buying something. So that's what we're going to talk about, right. how to get them to come back again and again. Very cool. And we'll go to Andrew. Andrew, what are you here? Where are you calling in from? What are you talking about? So. Yeah, so I'm actually in Seattle. I live in Los Angeles. I'm in Seattle. We have our Authenticate Conference next week. So I'm here that's prepping right. for that. Um, but I'm here talking about passwords and, and how we you know, want to move beyond that. Um, I think all of us understand as users that passwords are challenging, um, hard to remember, hard to enter in small devices, let alone, say, a smart TV. Uh, but ultimately, the, the bigger problem with passwords is that they risk, um, they bring great risk to, to businesses and consumers alike. They lead to data breaches, um, ransomware attacks, all sorts of bad things. So fortunately, you know, we have a band of 250 companies working to create new technology that will allow all of us to access services and be happy customers for Shep. Uh, to access things securely and seamlessly in the near future. So I'll be talking about that. All right, really cool. Elle, do the honors. We're going to start the show. We are running a little bit late, but we're going to have some fun. Let's go. All right, three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray and myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using Hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them in the next hour. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He is the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. Almost every day, you find him on business and technology news, including Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, Wall Street Journal. He is a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar. You know him as the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence, and I just found out a patent holder in many different ways. <laughs> Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. And you know, when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and 
posting insightful analyses, especially about this show at ZDNet. So who do we have for our guest today? Who's, our, who's kicking it off today? We have an amazing technology uh, and CMO as our first guest, Andrew Shakiar, who's the executive director CMO at Fido Alliance. Andrew's extensive experience driving awareness and adoption of emerging B2B technologies to his role as executive director and chief marketing at the Fido Alliance, which is a nonprofit industry association of more than 250 companies focused on eliminating the world's dependence on passwords by creating and driving adoption of open standards for simple, stronger user authentication. Andrew has been involved in leading identity and multi-stakeholder organizations since 2001 when he, when he helped recruit initial participants to the Liberty Alliance and was a group manager for Sun Microsystems Identity Management Products and Services. He's been involved in the inception of early stage companies or initiatives, including leadership roles at Sun's Java Soft Division, as well as with startups in the advanced analytics and electronics marketing industries. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Shakiar, A-N-D-R-E-W-S-H-I-K-I-A-R. Welcome, Andrew, to Disrupt TV. Thank you, Vala. I appreciate that. Thank you. And Ray just dropped off. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay, two of us. He's dialing in from Dubai. So, you know, yeah. okay, Andrew, tell us about the Fido Alliance and what you do, and we know it's a large consortium of amazing companies, but this focus of moving away from passwords, super interesting. Tell us about the Fido Alliance. Yeah, so, so um, thanks so much for having me, first of all, and I apologize, I don't have a book to, to share with anybody. I'll, <laughs> I'll work on that for next time I, I, I join you all. Um, so, something to, to work on. So, so oh, no. <laughs> Fido Alliance was launched you know, way back in 2013 and, and formed a little bit before that. Um, and we're closely associated in the industry. People associate us with getting rid of passwords. But the reason why we're doing that is to really solve the data breach problem. Um, you know, a day doesn't go by where you don't hear about a data breach. And the, the types of attacks that are, we're seeing more and more of these days include an ongoing spike in phishing, ransomware, and all sorts of um, attacks by hackers who, frankly, are smart, industrious, and capitalists. Um, and what the Liberty Alliance, excuse me, what the FICO Alliance I uh, realized at its inception is that the way to attack these problems was to start at the source of the problems, which are passwords. Passwords are fundamentally um, a, a technology that aren't fit for purpose for today's networked economy. Uh, for the main reason being that they are, uh, it's a shared secret, all right? It's something that you know, and that you, you put that secret on a server, and then you have to prove yourself to that server that you know that human readable secret. And the problem about, you know, human readable technologies or passwords is that um, they could be stolen and they could be you know, either stolen from you by a hack on that server or through phishing or other means or by buying your credentials off the dark web. And once that credential is out there um, in, in the hands of a bad actor, they can use that to log in not only to that initial site, but since most people don't um, have unique passwords for each site, they can also you know, crawl the web and try logging into every major e-commerce travel banking site that's out there. And the scary thing is that active credential stuffing has around a two to three percent success rate um, because passwords are hard to manage because you know, it's really wow. impossible to ask anyone to have a unique username and password for every site. So what we need to fundamentally do is move away from this kind of means of authenticating, which is knowledge-based, so what you know, into something that you have in your possession. So you're, you know, you need to like use a biometric on your PC, on your phone, or just touch the device, or even a local pin. Yeah. These are technologies you're authenticating locally to that device. Nothing's going over the network. It's inherently more secure and can stop all these remote track, remote attacks full stop. 
Ray, before you ask your question, I just want to share some stats that were mind-numbing to me. <laughs> and I'm a technologist, uh, but I just had no idea this heavy burden uh, that comes with passwords. Uh, first of all, over $1 oh, million God, yeah. annual cost to large businesses to reset passwords. Yeah. Over a million dollars for large businesses. 81% of data breaches involve weak, default, or stolen passwords. Eight out of 10 breaches are password related. Up to 50% of help desk calls are password reset requests. 50%. Just think about the volume. 50% uh, of users have not changed their password in the last five years. By the way, as I'm reading this, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, I'm one of those. Which Guilty. is just super scary. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. It's know, live TV. I know, I, know, I know. Let's try to edit that. Collectively, we have spent 1,300 years each day entering passwords. 1,300 years a day. And on average, a user has 90 plus accounts that require passwords. Like it, and I hope Salesforce is part of the FIDO Alliance because these numbers are ridiculously <laughs> scary and heavy. And now that I know eight out of 10 breaches are passwords related, it's just unbelievable. It's somewhat intuitive. I just never thought about it. Go ahead, Ray. Sorry. Sorry for <laughs> No, but, but, but that begs the question, right? The question is, why are we still using passwords to yeah. authenticate, yeah. right? And, and as, yeah. as, I mean, if we're not using passwords, like, what do we use, right? And, you know, and, and what, what are those alternatives? And I guess that's, we'll set you up here. We'll tee you up, Andrew. What do we use? What's going on? Yeah, first of all, I want to add one one statistic that's very important to, to Vala's list of, of, of astonishingly scary password data points. A well-designed phishing attack, right? Not your Nigerian prince, you know, random email, but a, a well-designed phishing attack has over a 50% <laughs> success rate. So not just you clicking on that email, but you actually getting phished. Right. And I think that's another data point. It's really important to think about in the context. But I really wanted to see everyone's bonus numbers. Come on. Yeah. Well, Ray, <laughs> you say that at Salesforce, we have a, what we call a red team. And this team aggressively tries to attack the 70,000 employees. In other words, we take we have courses on Trailhead to every year that's mandatory yep. for every employee. But we have an active red team that's bonus on, on getting us. Uh, and you'd be amazed. I won't go into details. <laughs> of how unbelievably smart these attacks are. Uh, yes. Unbelievably smart. Yeah. Uh, Unbelievable. Any, anyway, sorry. You, you were talking to Andrew about why do we still use passwords? Yeah. So we, why? We use why? Pass why do we? we? We use passwords because that's what we've always done. You know, so passwords are part of the DNA of the web itself. And it's an unfortunate kind of artifact of, of just kind of the way the web was launched. And, um, you know, I don't think this was fully contemplated, you know, the way we're using the, the internet to, to conduct commerce, to interact with each other, to do everything, um, you know, wasn't really contemplated when, when at the onset of, of the, of the World Wide web and, and simply put, it's not fit for purpose anymore. And we need to you know, take steps to change the DNA of the way we do things on the web. Um, intuitively, you go to a website, you look for the username password box and you know, you can create your account there. You know, so there's a lot of learned behavior and using passwords. So that's one issue why we still use passwords. But the bigger reason why we still use passwords is that until recently, there wasn't really scalable, stronger technology that could replace passwords and be as ubiquitous as passwords. Um, so, you know, one thing we do see a lot of, which is a mild improvement, but not the answer. And we see a lot of you know, two-factor two authentication using say SMS OTPs, where you get a message to validate yourself on your phone, you enter that into the device to, to validate yourself. Better than passwords alone, um, but also keep in mind 
that's still a server-side shared secret, which can be fished and can be stolen and can be worked around. So even that's not the answer. Um, so what we need to fundamentally do and what we're trying to do is shift the market away from this kind of knowledge-based you know, way of thinking to something that's more possession-based. And what we use, our technology, is asymmetric public key cryptography. And that's both a mouthful and an earful. Um, but what it means <laughs> is that instead of actually having a credential on the server that is human readable, you have a unique key pair, right? So think of it as a locking key, even though it's called a public key and private key. Okay. I create an account. All that sits on the server now is a public key, which has no material value. And hacker could steal it. They can't do anything with it. But the, the secret, you know, the valuable part is a private key. And that stays on my device. It's only activated once I verify myself to that. So whether I'm using a biometric, um, or any sort of local, you know, way of authenticating myself to that, a biometric, a PIN, um, or, you know, a variety of things, that activates a private key, if you will, to then, you know, allow the authentication to happen. And it's just now that this technology is actually being, you know, supported at scale, you know. So what's happened over the past couple of years, you know, through the work that our members have done is that we now see FIDO technology available on the vast majority of computing devices. In fact, every device that's being unboxed this very moment, the vast majority of those can support FIDO. That includes every Windows 10 or Windows 11 PC, every modern Android handset, every modern Apple device can use FIDO. So because of that, we're starting to see, you know, the, the first steps we need to take to, um, to move beyond passwords, we're seeing service providers start to implement, implement this at scale. So a great example, this is eBay. Uh, if you go to ebay.com, if any of you have an eBay account, I encourage you to log in and see what they offer you to do. And what they'll ask you to do is say, look, you can now use what you use to log into your device to log into eBay, right? So if that's a Windows Hello, if that's Touch ID, whatever it might be, you can use that instead of relying on your password. And so we're starting to see more and more companies you know, begin to implement this. And I do think that we're gonna see a tidal wave of um, FIDO-based passwordless solutions over the next couple of years. So uh, you've got FIDO provides strong authentication, uh, system passwords are inherently risky to the economy. We saw a company spending a million dollars just resetting every year. They sit on servers, which means they're susceptible to being hacked. And local authentication on devices that you own sound like an incredibly better model. So this all seems um, just rational uh, thinking and innovation. Um, you're the CMO. You represent the brand of the company and you're the storyteller of the company. And you've got these trillion dollar market cap companies that are members of FIDO. You, you yeah. mentioned a couple of them uh, with Microsoft and Google. You've got the largest banks in the world as FIDO members. How do you, is it hard to get these giants to be part of the consortium or how do you, how do you pull them in? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it's a real interesting thing to think about. And, I, and I've been involved with some you know, variety of multi-stakeholder kind of standards type groups in, throughout my career. I've bounced between this and private industry, for-profit and, you know, or attempted to be for-profit you know, companies as well. Um, I think, you know, the key thing about standards when you think about them, it's really a you know, collective decision to commoditize certain pieces of technology that aren't necessarily an area of competitive differentiation. All right, so you think about things like, you know, I always, like in layman's term, we think about light sockets and light bulbs. You know, at some point way back when all the lighting manufacturers and the, you know, the, the light, the lamp manufacturers said, well, you know what, it's more efficient to have everything be, you know, this shape and screw this way. So it allows us to have greater efficiency in our manufacturing. We can focus on our areas of differentiation. The same thing happens with technology standards, whether that's, you know, HDMI or Bluetooth or FIDO. Um, and, and so I, I think that, you know, people, you know, technology companies understand the value of standards and the buyers understand it as well. 
what's been unique with Fido is that everyone's really rallied behind this approach, right? If you look at the IoT landscape, it's terribly fragmented. There's different ecosystems, competing ecosystems. It's just now being rationalized. But there's never been any sort of anti-FIDO. There's never been a, like a, a Betamax or a VHS, I'll state oh. myself. Um, but, but really, everyone who really needs to be sitting around the table is sitting around the table. So we have um, the people who make the platforms and devices we ship every day. So I mentioned Microsoft and Google, also Apple. Apple joined in January 2020 um, was a you know, really powerful signal that this is the body where industry work is happening around strong wow. authentication. But also Samsung, Intel, Qualcomm, you know, from chipset on up, you know, they're all sitting inside of FIDO. We also have experts in biometrics and security, right? So like longtime stalwarts like RSA, um, Talus, wow. groups like that. But also there's a ton of innovative startup companies, which is part of my personal passion is finding these companies that have great ideas. They're innovating upon this open technology and creating awesome solutions. And then last but not least, you know, we have, you mentioned before, the big banks. But the big service providers, payment networks, um, companies who, you know, they have the very real business imperative and the need to deliver, you know, securely deliver high assurance services to billions of users worldwide on a daily basis. So Visa, MasterCard, American Express, you know, the big banks, but also Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, wow. um, you know, the list goes on. They all take part inside the FIDO Alliance because they have the use cases, the vendor members have the expertise, and it's really worked out quite well to shape the technical outputs. You know, we have a robust certification program and, and everyone's very focused now on market enablement, education and things like that. So it's amazing. You've got yeah. all the trillion dollar market cap companies. You named all of them, uh, which is amazing. <laughs> so what 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 uh, TCP IP did for the Internet or what HTTP did for the web, Fido is doing for secure access. That's just amazing. That's, that's the analogy we try to work towards. You know, that's so again, we, yeah. so the, I mean. The ubiquity of passwords has enabled it to be, you know, the default way of going. The ubiquity of SMS OTP also has been kind of the the, the low-hanging fruit for multi-factor authentication. Now, the big shift we're going to see is again moving from possession-based uh, from uh, knowledge-based authentication to possession-based. You're going to see this implemented in, in platforms pretty soon. So, a couple of data points on this. Um, last June at Worldwide Developer Conference, Apple announced the intent to create something called passkeys. Uh, which would be synced across yep. the iCloud keychain. And you know, Apple's done remarkable work consumerizing security technology. Yeah. Touch ID, face ID. Yeah. You know, these are things, this is consumerization of, of security technology, which is incredibly difficult to do. So with passkeys, what they're saying now, you can use iCloud keychain. When you create an account, instead of using a, a complex password, using iCloud keychain, those push out a FIDO public key onto that server and the private key stays in the device and is synced across iCloud. Google, awesome. Microsoft, doing the same sort of work. Those three companies are working in lockstep to bring this vision to reality, not just for enterprise, you know, which is not, I shouldn't say just, but yeah. in addition to enterprise, also for consumers at scale. Um, and, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Microsoft announced 190 million plus Microsoft account holders can go passwordless. Google announced yeah. that they're mandating multi-factor authentication uh, for a, a big chunk of the G Suite users. So. Um, the good news is the technology is now in place for this to start happening at scale. We have the commitment for this to happen at scale. It's not going to happen overnight, but I think the pieces are in place for you know, us collectively to move to a safer, connected future. In preparation, and for Andrew, this... real quick, you've got a uh, yeah. conference coming up um, at your uh, Authentic Acon um, that's going on. Uh, tell us a little bit what any special announcements that are going on. So, oh, you want breaking news on Disrupt? <laughs> breaking, oh, breaking news. news. <laughs> breaking news. Yeah. So, so there'll be some announcements. So, so it's our first uh, physical conference, Authenticate. It's an industry conference for those who care about modern authentication. 
Uh, we're having it here in Seattle. Uh, it's an in-person conference, the Andrew Milk Conference. So we're going to have a couple hundred people in masks, vaccinated, sitting together, learning about authentication, and then several hundred more attending remotely. Um, we'll have some announcements. We'll be announcing a couple key things. Um, one, uh, and I'll go ahead and tease it now. Um, <laughs> but we'll, we, we, I think the important thing for us as an industry to do is to, to understand what progress we're making. Let's keep ourselves honest. Um, so we're going to be introducing a, a, um, a barometer, if you will, to track, uh, you know, from today as day zero, to track password habits or password list habits uh, today. And, and we'll, you know, track that on a moving forward basis to give us, oh, gives ourselves yeah, a, cool. a longitudinal baseline, if you will. Um, another very important thing, you know, I, I mentioned the pieces are in place for this to be deployed, but there still needs to be experts in the field who, you know, can help bring this into fruition. So um, we're going to be uh, detailing a program that authentication professionals can tap into uh, to hone and, and improve their, you know, FIDO-related deployment and development skills. That's amazing. This amazing is awesome. Work. We're here with Andrew Shikiar, Executive Director and CMO of the FIDO Alliance. You can follow him on Twitter at Andrew, S-H-I-K-I-A-R. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Thanks really so appreciate much. it. Thank you. Hey, good luck with your conference, Steph. So. Yeah. You know, in researching for this interview, I had no idea. Was cool. So, so cool innovation next? happening around passwords. I was blown away. Anyway, speaking of being amazed and blown away, our next guest, a world expert, Shep Hiking. He's the chief amazement officer at Hiking. Shep Hiking is a customer service experience expert and a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of eight books, Ray, eight. Eight I books. know, man. Shep Amazing. Works, Shep works with companies and organizations like Salesforce who want to build loyal relationships with their customers and employees. His articles have been read in hundreds of publications, and he's author of, again, eight books. Now, his most recent book, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again, was released just in September last month. I don't know why I said that with an accent. <laughs> you need the glasses <laughs> to go with. Yeah. Shep <laughs> is then. also creator of Customer Focus, a customer service training program that helps clients develop customer service culture and loyalty mindset. He's one of the most entertaining keynote speakers I've ever seen. Uh, he's an amazing follow on Twitter at Hiking. Imagine how early he was an adopter. He has it as Hiking. I tried to get Vala on, I couldn't. Uh, welcome back, Shep, to Disrupt hey. TV. <laughs> Great to be here. Great to be here. You know why I have at Hiken? Because they told me originally uh, you could have, what, 140 characters? Yes. And I said, why waste four of them on my first name? So otherwise, <laughs> at Shep Hiken is probably better. All got... celebrities have just their last name right, on right. Twitter. So you're an early adopter for sure. Oh, thanks. And then Hiken.com, I was an early adopter of websites. Oh. And you have no idea all the Hikens that I've never met. <laughs> that are irritated with me, write me letters, emails, saying, how is it that you have my name? Yeah, well, write eight best-selling <laughs> books and you get to have a cool domain. <laughs> well, thanks oh, for having amazing. me, amazing. Look, this is your... both of you. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited to have you. I mean, you've been talking about customer service and customer experience, and you know what? You keep talking about it. This is your eighth book, and each book is different. I don't know how you do that. What's new in this one? Give us some quick overview wow. and some highlights of what's sure, going on. Sure, sure. What's new? There are probably about every book I have has foundational material in it. So I would yes. say once we get past 10 or 15% of that foundation material, 
Everything else is pretty much brand new. I keep writing articles every week, at least a couple. Uh, but this is what got me started on this book. I was doing business with a hair salon franchisor. Can you imagine they hired me <laughs> to talk to the hair salon Sorry. owners? Of the it's your years of expertise. Years of expertise. <laughs> I mean, it's like, how do I do my market research? You know, I, I, I said to my kid, hey, go in there and tell me how it is. But seriously, the CEO was talking to me about how we measure success. And I asked them, what were their yep, measurements? Yep. And they did the typical CSAT, customer satisfaction, net promoter score, likelihood to recommend, you know, all those types of surveys. And then I said, so do you love them? He goes, well, yeah. I said, but I sense there's a but. He goes, yeah, there is a but. And, and my terminology was all of these stats and surveys that you get our history lessons. It's what happened yesterday. And he goes, that's right. Ah. And I said, but you're getting ready to tell me what you're doing. And I know it was kind of clued in before he measures behavior. And he said, it's great to know whether we did a good job yesterday. It's great to know whether they'd recommend us. That makes us feel good. And we learn from that. We know what happened. We know what we can fix if it needs to be fixed. We know what works that we need to, what we need to keep doing, but we also need to measure the behavior. Do they come back? And so the idea was, and, and, you know, Ray, you cut your hair probably, or Val, you probably cut your own hair. Yes? I do. Yeah. I do. But Ray, you can tell. I can see that you spend a lot of money. Oh, he's every Hollywood, month Hollywood looking Ray. that good, right? <laughs> and, and so how often do you go to get your Sadly, hair? no, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you probably go once a month or so to get your hair cut, right? Uh, no, I actually I have my hair cut at home now. <laughs> okay, well, that's cool. Yeah, this COVID changes everything. All right, well, you're messing with my story. But I used right? to, but I used to get it like once every three weeks. Go for it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, Let's say no, I spend hundreds of dollars on a haircut. I just kid with you that, but but this is what this is what this gentleman said to me. He says, you know, we know what regular customers look like. It could be a man, oh, yeah. a woman, long hair, short hair, curly hair, color. Uh, you know, you put car, how often they come back with the cadence of a regular customer is. So what we want to do is move this brand new customer or this once in a while customer into the cadence of a regular customer, a repeat customer. Yep. And once yep. we have them on that, we need to convert them to a loyal customer. And we watch that behavior like a hawk because that's really what's going to measure our success. Great to know we yep. did a great yep. job. Great to know what we need to fix so we can do better next time. But we need to look at that behavior to know exactly what our business is doing. So that's what started me writing about the book. And, yeah, there's a chapter in there that's the most important measurement. And uh, there it is. And yes. that's the one that um, you track the actual behavior. Do they that's come back? Uh, I think it's super insightful, very simple as a former chief customer officer, understanding propensity to buy, repeat business, frequency of purchase, size of purchase, things that gave you, you know, a trending analysis in terms of are you building a stronger relationship or you're earning the trust of future business with your client. Now, did you need Governor Schwarzenegger's approval for the title? Tell us about the title. <laughs> so, Arnie. Oh, I wish he would have. I, I tried to reach out to him to get him to endorse the book. Uh, that's all I wanted was him to simply say, read this book so your customers will say, I'll be back. Uh, but I, I about three paragraphs into my outline, not even writing the book, I said, wait a minute, who made these words famous? The Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So uh, I thought, well, the book's not about that, but I can't not 
incorporate that into it. So if you want to win an Arnie, which is kind of like winning the Stevie in customer service, and Val and I were talking about this before the show started, the Stevie is a great award, or you can win the Tony for a stage on Broadway. You can win, you know, the Oscar. Well, how about the Arnie? And the Arnie is when your customer says, I'll be back. <laughs> With or without That's the awesome. accident. That's awesome. That is amazing. Um, you know, in one of your chapters, you talk about this amazing customer experience. It's it's within the reach of every company, you know, but a yeah. lot of people can't see it. They can't put themselves in the right frame of mind. Uh, but how do you get them there? How do you, what, what's the sure. important piece for them to just get that aha moment and say, yes, I can do this? Yes, it's actually, this is one of the foundational concepts. There's that in the moment of truth, misery, and magic, but this is what kind of kicks it all off. So customer amazement doesn't come from being over the top, blow me away, most incredible service I've ever had. By the way, when that happens, it is amazing. But the typical day in and day out things that you do for your customer probably aren't amazing. I returned the phone call. I uh, sent an email. I responded quickly to a need, whatever. Those seem like, normal but here's what makes them better and makes them amazing when the customer recognizes that you know maybe you're a little bit better than average how much better a tiny bit better horse schultz from the ritz carlton co-founder and first president said if you're just 10 percent better than average you can create an iconic yeah. brand world recognized now what that means is on a scale of one to five where one is bad and five is amazing three is average all you got to do is be a 3.3 or better. And, and as long as you are consistently, and that's the key word, consistently, which means it's predictable, your customer will say things like, they're always so knowledgeable. They always get back to me quickly. They're always friendly. They always take care of me, even when there's a problem. The word always followed by something positive. And when that's happening, you're operating in that zone of amazement. And that's where customers say they're amazing. Uh, and they want to come back. It's that simple. And it's really not hard but I guess what makes it hard is that it's a consistent effort of always looking at it. And one of the other comment about that is if you are average, if you're a three on a scale of one to five, customers yep. don't complain about average. So you never know whether you're doing a good job. Uh, I, I'm writing an article for uh, Halloween. I call it the nightmare customer. And guess what? That's the one that doesn't complain. Yeah. They just disappear. Right. And uh, you thought they were happy because they never said anything. Well, guess what, my friends? If they're not talking, you don't know. You got to find out. Once again, another metric to look at. <laughs> that is such an important, for those of us who've spent time in customer service, we know two types of people. They're the talkers and the walkers. And the most dangerous uh, impact to your business when is when they don't talk, but they walk away. Uh, and you yeah. find out. So no feedback doesn't mean they're satisfied. No feedback just means no feedback. So right. it's such an important distinction. By the way, I'm reading chef's books like all the books i've read and i'm in agreement oh i'm every chapter i'm like yes 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 until i get to chapter five and he says nothing has changed in customer service uh -uh. and i know <laughs> chef is a technologist <laughs> i know he's following machine learning and chatbots and customer journeys AI. And, and ai and so i'm like what is he talking about and then i read it and i'm like ah okay so tell us tell us about yeah. why that you had this very powerful statement as a chapter yep. five well nothing has changed yet so much has changed but really at the end of it all what you know you can go back a thousand years whatever the first customer service experience ever was and and here's how it went i, I need help yes i'll help you oh thank you for helping me 
Customers started out with a problem, a question, an issue, and at the end, they were happy. And if we go to a 1,000 years into the future, this is exactly what the customer wants and they will want in the future. Now, what has changed are the methods and the ways we go about doing it. But really, in the end, it's what happens in the beginning, what happens at the end that counts. So even if the customer is coming at you with a complaint and they're really upset, at the end, they want to be happier. They wouldn't be taking the time to let you know how upset they were. So in the middle, yeah, AI and chatbots and self-service and everything else. But in the end, you want them happy. Yeah, absolutely true. No, it's a great absolutely point. And, and everywhere in the book, I mean, there's some great lessons learned. I mean, in Chapter 7, it's a great one. I mean, you talk about this whole notion of the shortest customer speech you ever gave. Um, I don't oh, yeah. want to give it away, but it was two words I'll long. What was it? Go ahead. All it right, wasn't go ahead. Let's even do it. two minutes long. That's all I had two words. to give it was two minutes. It was two words long. Right. Two words. Uh, short story is I'm hired to do the keynote speech, closing speaker, and the executive who hired me says, Shep, we got to end at 430 today. We've got somewhere we're taking everybody on a bus to an event. We cannot be late. So whatever time you go on, you end at 430. If you go on early, you're welcome to use extra time. But if you go on late, your time is cut. Well, the people ahead of me kept going longer and longer. There were two minutes left. And the client says to me, I'm really sorry. We're not going to be able to put you on. And I'm thinking, no, I got to go on. I said, don't worry. I got this covered and we'll be done by 430. So I walked out on stage and applause is there. Thank you very much. I said, everybody, you're looking at your watch wondering, how am I going to do this and us be out in the next two minutes? Well, my friends, I've got it covered. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the shortest customer service speech of all time. So just imagine I was introduced, the same applause you gave me. Here I am in the middle of the stage. Are you ready? Here we go. Be nice. And then I started to walk off stage. And, and then I came back to the middle. I go, okay, I know what you're thinking. Be nice. And I said, but come on, think about it. You can have the best food in the world at a restaurant, but if you're not nice to the customer, customer's not coming back. This is foundational. Everything you do, all the sophisticated technology and ideas and processes that you have, you still have to be nice and offer a friendly experience. Now, I've got about another 30 seconds left. I just want to tell you it's been great to be here. I'll see you next year, and I'll finish the rest of the speech. Enjoy yourselves. That's so awesome. What I love about your book is there's so many tweetable sections and nuggets of wisdom sprayed across every other page of the book. You can randomly pick a page in the book and you've got something you can share on social media. One of my favorite things you said, when one employee remembers the customer, that means, parentheses, from the customer's point of view, and parentheses, that the entire organization has remembered the customer. So when one person is nice to a customer, the perception from the customer's point of view is that the company is nice to me. And I think that's such a powerful human element where you're right, thousand years ago or thousand years in the future. At the end of the day, you're building relationships with people. And mm -hmm. you also write that you can't automate relationship building. You can automate processes, you can automate workflow, but relationships can't be automated. So we had the head of McKenzie Research for US on our show. And he said during 2020 pandemic, 75% of US consumers tried a new brand and never went back to the old brand. 75% shifted yep. to an un unheard of number. So it was almost a rest in peace brand loyalty. So a 
great lesson was, and it was because of safety, accessibility, value. Obviously, during the pandemic, a lot of companies had difficulty delivering yep. products and services. They missed the opportunity where competitors mm -hmm. figured it out quick. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But a great lesson there, which is what you cover in Chapter 8, is don't confuse repeat customer to loyal customer. Yes. Can you tell us the difference? Because this country, by the way, worldwide, I think the average was 60. In India, as much as 92%. So some, I mean, uh, unbelievable numbers in terms of disloyalty what's the difference between or what's that what defines a loyal customer yep and and back to a comment you made where one person you know where uh, yeah. the company refers to or a customer refers to them when it was one person i call that the awesome responsibility where one of us represents all of us but to get to your your current question which uh gosh it's the difference between repeat versus loyalty it's great to have repeat business and that is solid gold. And I want everybody to go for repeat business, but the next level is loyalty. We have to understand why customers are buying from us. Are they buying from us because we're the lowest price? Well, one, one, and as soon as somebody has a lower price, we lose. Uh, are they buying because we're closer to them and because they drive to us and, and, and the next competitor is two or three miles down the road? What happens if the competitor moves closer? And I know Val and Ray, both of you fly extensively and you're racking up frequent flyer miles probably on, I'm not going to ask Ray because he, with the hair thing, messed my story up before. I, no, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but, but I, it, you know, most people rack their frequent flyer miles up on one I'm a airline. United guy. Here you go. Okay, I'm a United guy. United guy. And, and you know, I'm an American guy and I love American Airlines. And the question is, if I ask a lot of people, who do you fly on? Why do you have your frequent flyer miles? Yeah. What if I ask you to fly on the other airline? Well, you know, I don't want, I want to get all my miles over here. Take away the miles, take away all the perks. Everybody's equal. Will you still fly on that airline? That's the question. So the answer is what's motivating people to fly and, and give this airline repeat business has nothing to do with true loyalty. It has to do with marketing, which, you know, a lot of loyalty programs are really marketing programs or repeat business programs. Nothing wrong with that, but figure out a way to bump it up a notch and create the loyal customer. You know, it's a great point. I mean, customers are trading loyalty for convenience, loyalty for value, loyalty for a mission and purpose, loyalty for, I mean, they're just not loyal. I mean, when you go down and break it down, I mean, airlines is a great one. Why do you fly American ship? Well, I, I like I like the miles. No, actually, they treat me really, really well. I've been flying on American so long. People walk who've never been with me before that we walk through the airport and all the gate agents are going, hey, Shep. It's because it's like and there's a chapter in the book where everybody knows your name from the TV show Cheers. I feel like I'm walking into the bar and my name is Norm. You know, if you, if you, and for those that have no idea what I'm talking about, just Google the TV show Cheers. Watch an episode. You'll know what I'm talking about. They personalize the experience by making me feel like I'm connected to that airline. So in one of the no, final that's a great point, right? Book, sorry. In one of the final chapters of the book, oh, go ahead. we talked about six steps for getting people to come back. Mm -hmm. um, can you quickly talk to us? About yeah, I'm going to go through them real fast because I know we're, we're tied on time. Sure. We want to give uh, Neha a chance to come out and share her expertise. So the idea, I call it the uh, I'll be back experience. How do you create that? And there's six steps. You meet with your team. Number one, answer these questions. Why would someone do business with us? And don't say something as simple as, oh, we have great service because everybody else can say that. What really makes you different? Number two, why would a customer do business with the competitor? Now, when you say, 
those are good reasons why a customer might not do business with us and them. Keep pace. That's step number three. What can we take from the competitor and use for us? But don't copy. Make it something different. Make it unique. Make it personalized, even though it's something similar. Think about there was some really smart hotel guy that once said, hey, let's give the guests a newspaper. And when they come down in the morning and the next hotel said, look what they're doing over there. We're going to have to give them newspapers too, but let's make it better. Let's put it at their door. You see, they just bumped it up a notch. All right, step four, I want you to look outside your industry. I want you to ask yourselves, what companies do I love doing business with and why? And the step five is the why. If they have some really good reasons why, can you use them for your business? You may have to modify them. Now, you can copy them exactly the same if it works for you, because guess what? They're not in your industry. They're outside the industry. So then you look at step number six, which to go back and look at the answers you had and what you've implemented from the first few steps. And you say to yourself, now that we've done this, now why would a customer want to do business with us? instead of them. You'll learn to take from your, your competitors and you'll hopefully learn a lot from looking at your outside of the industry companies that you love. Amazing. Super amazing. amazing. That's the Chef, fastest where can we I get ever the book? Is the book out? Is the, <laughs> the book, book out? Is yes. out. It came yes. out September 21. So it's been out, oh gosh, not even about three weeks or so. Doing really well. It's tracking well. We're excited. Sales are great. And I hope that everybody watching this show goes to Amazon or wherever they love to buy books and buy the book. Awesome. Well, you took my line. Chef Hyken, Chief Amazement Officer of Hyken and more importantly, you can follow him on Twitter at H-Y-K-E-N and get his book wherever books are sold. So, hey, thanks a lot. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Terrific. He's helping my company better serve our customers. So one of the world's leading customer service and customer experience experts. Now, talking about amazing people, amazing CMOs, Neha Merchandani is CMO and head of people Ray, first time that I've had a CMO, CHRO, one person yep. that I know at Bright Plan. Uh, Neha leads marketing and people functions at Bright Plan, a leader in to uh, total financial wellness. Neha has extensive experience in B2B and SaaS marketing and HR, and her career spans global enterprise technology companies as well as innovative startups. Uh, previously, Neha was CMO at Topia, a kind of global talent mobility company, but her career has had senior roles through companies such as Ring Central. Cisco, Adobe, I mean, big companies. You can follow Neha on Twitter at N-M-I-R-C-H-I. Welcome, Neha, to Disrupt TV. Thanks, Bala, and uh, great to be here today. Wow, that's a tough one to follow, I have to say. <laughs> Chef, oh my gosh. I'm a huge fan, as Me I too. mentioned earlier. Um, he's just phenomenal. He's amazing. For sure. No, Chef is. Chef is amazing. Always fun to have him. But hey, you're doing some amazing things as well. I mean, you've gone from a CMO to a chief people officer. That's pretty crazy. So um, that's a big shift that's going on out there. So what does that mean? So how do you make that shift? And what does that mean in the, in the long term? Yeah, I appreciate the kind words, Vala, in terms of my depth of experience in marketing and, and HR. But to be completely transparent, you know, I'm deep, like a mile deep uh, in the marketing world. But I would say, frankly, scratching the surface of HR because, um, you know, Bright Plan is, is the first company where I've led the people function as well. And initially I was like, I I'll be transparent with you. I went on to LinkedIn and I'm like, have I ever seen these two roles together? Kind of like what you said. <laughs> and I did a LinkedIn search and you will be surprised there are people, not just me, that actually have these two roles together. And I think they're really onto something. 
Um, because I mean, going back to a lot of what Shep was talking about, right, around the customer experience, and I know we talked a lot about that. Who drives that customer experience? It's the people. It's your employees, right? So there's a super tight connection uh, between both both of these elements. And if you really think about um, the context of what's happening in the world right now and uh, what's top of mind, and I know Salesforce, because um, I chat with quite a few HR leaders at Salesforce on an ongoing basis. And uh, what's top of mind is really how do you drive employee engagement in the current, uh, current market? And um, how do you... Um, you know, kind of create a culture of care and ensure that your employees are well. How are you, right, is is a very deep question today. It's no longer about I'm well, but there are so many complex issues that uh, that we are dealing with. So but it's an incredible are, there, time. There yeah. There are definitely a lot of parallels, right? Like what's recruiting? It's, it's really marketing, right? What's the uh, customer journey? You think about the employee journey, right? When you think about like what you actually have to do for, you know, benefits, that's really the same thing as product marketing and features. I mean, I always thought these things were pretty similar. So it yeah, uh, sounds know, like as, very exciting. Yeah. As you, as you talk about it, it makes total sense. And yet uh, we've had almost 800 guests on Disrupt TV over the last five years you know, 50, 60, 100 CMOs and CHROs have never, we've never had, I don't think we've ever had a guest that had both functions. So great to know it's an emerging space and great to know you're a trailblazer. And, you know, obviously uh, employee well-being is so important to the company's brand, especially the last 18 months. Uh, I often tweet, you can't expect customers to love your company before your employees do. So, you know, the brand of company, especially in a hyper-connected knowledge sharing economy, is, 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 is your employees. Um, so in, in, a, in a typical day for, for you, how much of your time and energy is spent on the people side versus the marketing side, or are they starting to blend more into each other in order to create that healthy environment and healthy company brand? That's a really great question, Bala. And, and I don't know if you knew this about BrightPlan, but our customers and our buyer is actually HR. So that's another very unique lens because sure, I'm sure. marketing, even in my marketing hat, I'm marketing to the HR person and being wow. in the people function, I really do understand it because that's my day-to-day -day job as well. So, so I see this incredible blend, right? And um, it, it's just an interesting time to be in that space. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we definitely see that as an important uh, area. Um, quick question. What is this role of financial wellness uh, in this mix? A lot of folks are trying to figure this out. Um, you know, the great resignation means work-life balance. The great resignation means, you know, may maybe I want to try a different job. Maybe I try something different. Um, maybe I'm looking at my financial side differently. So how does this all come together? Because this is one of the biggest challenges. You've got nine and a half million job openings, nine million people unemployed, and four and a half million people who are we've disappeared. Nobody knows where they went in the whole employment mix. I mean, this is a great mystery to begin with. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know I, I referenced the great resignation earlier, Ray, but, you know, I like to think about it as we're faced with the great reckoning because, um, you know, COVID really put things in perspective for employees in terms of what's important. What are my priorities? I want work-life yep. balance. You put the younger generation in the mix, right? 
And what's important to them, they want to work for companies that are really well aligned with their mission and their purpose. And, and so there's so many things that are happening that are leading to, as you referenced, the great resignation. We're also hearing about early retirement. And the other day I yes. heard this term called perpetual retirement. And I was like, what is that? And that's sort of like people going in and out of the workforce, taking a couple of years off, coming back in, wow. going into consulting roles. So kind of a different blended world. And this is actually creating a crisis, as I said earlier, around um, attracting and hiring top talent. It's a hyper competitive market right now. And you need to really be focused on holding on to your top people. Um, and this is in this context is where, you know, culture of care, which is about genuinely caring about your people and their well-being. And when I when I say well-being, I'm talking about two different aspects here. One is the wellness of the whole person, because before the employer used to be focused on, hey, I'm only going to worry about the employee, the, the part of the employee that comes to work. Right. Well, lo and behold, the work life world is completely blended and integrated. So we need to be really worrying about the whole person, the person at home, the person at work, and in many cases, their families as well as employers. And then if you take that, uh, uh, you know, if you peel the onion even further there, it's about total wellness. And, and what I mean about that is, you know, it's no longer worrying about people's physical health uh, or their mental health or their financial health, it's really about the whole person and their total wellness, right? So there is a huge focus and a shift that we're seeing. And then in that mix, if you bring in diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm -hmm. which is another topic which is incredibly top of mind right now for employers, because you know wellness and uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, they go hand in hand. Because if your employees, you know, don't feel like every single employee feels like you understand their individualized needs, they're not going to feel like they belong in the environment uh, that you've created for them. So again, you know, it's the, the DEI conversation is so much bigger. It's so much bigger than just equal pay and equal opportunity and equal, you know, diverse hiring practices. It's really about creating that culture of inclusion. <clears throat> so, you know, getting to your specific question around financial wellness, uh, Ray, and I appreciate that question. If you just look at the data around um, how people are feeling today, 65%. So we did a survey in the May-June timeframe of this year mm -hmm. where we asked employees as well as HR leaders, what's top of mind for them? And we found that 65% of employees today are stressed about their finances. And this stress, if, if you look at how that translates into lack of productivity and lack of engagement, it's costing employers approximately $5 billion a week in lost productivity. That is huge. And this is just in the US alone, right? And, and, and so this is a huge problem uh, along with mental health because uh, people are feeling burnt out right now. So, um, you know, financial wellness can definitely make a huge impact, not just on a, on a person's financial health, but also their total wellness and their total well-being, which is going to have a positive impact on um, business success as well. I just want to follow up on that. What are some of the causes of that on the financial wellness? Is it is it like student loan debt? Is it like housing? I mean, are there, are there things people have identified? 
Yeah, it, it is all of the above, Ray. And for different people, it's different things. But a lot of a lot of people due to uh, the pandemic, either they lost jobs themselves or someone in their family did. Um, caregiving, if you think about that, caregiving, right, with yep. health issues, right? And mm -hmm. this is where women, by the way, were were yes. really, I mean, you, you just look at the stats, right? Yeah. yeah, you look at 2.5 million women left the workforce. And of that, 50% of those were Black and Hispanic women. Um, and, and that's because of, you know, the, the bulk of caregiving responsibilities really fall on women. And they're also in lower paying uh, jobs, right? So there's a blended reason for all of these things where I feel like the pandemic has really amplified um, the issues and the challenges that we face as, as a society. Yeah, I mean, the combination of uh, health crisis, economic crisis, climate crisis in the US with floods and droughts and hurricanes and racial inequality crisis, the combination of all of this, um, so the notion of mental health, physical health, financial health, that total wellness, our research shows that a hybrid work environment can have a positive impact in terms of uh, delivering, uh, you know, good health to employees. And my understanding is that Bright Plan, you're hiring talent regardless of where they live. So there's no longer physical dependency. Uh, so you're all in in terms of just if there's a talented person that can contribute to the business, it doesn't matter where you live. Is, is that an accurate understanding of Bright Plan? And, and can you talk about some other trends that like this mass exception, uh, 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 acceptance of remote work as a result of the pandemic uh, and where you see us keeping some of these trends and behaviors as we move through the pandemic era? Yeah, so so to your first question, Vala, you know, we made the decision as a leadership team in October of last year with the pandemic that we were going to move uh, into a permanent uh, work from anywhere in the U.S. environment. Wow. And so, yes, our employees, you know, we were based awesome. in the Bay Area and we all know the high costs of, of, uh, of living here in the Bay Area. So most of our employees really moved out all over uh, all over the country. And that has definitely given us an edge in terms of attracting top talent, no matter where they are, um, and supporting our customers, right, with that. Awesome. So that's awesome. definitely been, been a strong move. Um, in, in terms of the trends, I did touch on them a little bit earlier, which is this hybrid, flexible work environment mm. that we're talking about yeah, yeah. is here to stay, right? And both of you know this better than anyone else. The future of work is now, and that future yeah. of work is we're never going backwards, right? Yeah. We're never going back to the way the world was. Um, but you know, some of the other trends that I see, as I mentioned, is, is this culture of care, culture of well-being, this genuinely caring about your employees, and not just that this is a personal problem. An employee's health and wellness is not a personal problem. It's an employer problem. It's a societal problem, right? Because it has a direct impact on business success. Um, so, you know, I, I would say those are some of the key things. So holistic success, meaning you're thinking about the well-being of your employees, your customers, your partners, the communities you serve. Uh, so really core values have been um, not necessarily redefined, but the notion of trust and stakeholder success has risen to the top priority given the pandemic. Is that what you see with your clients and, and, and the trends throughout the industry? Absolutely, Bala. You know, I, the way I talk about this is HR used to be seen as a back office, for lack of a yeah. better way of putting this no more. function. No more. 
right? No more. You, yeah. you see the CHRO has a very strategic seat at the table from yeah. a C-suite perspective. And when you think about what are the issues that are top of mind for the CEO, the CFO, the CHRO, it is people-related yeah. issues. Yeah. Because what is a company if it is not for their people, right? Because that's gonna, that is what is going to drive the success of your business and create the happy employees as well as create the happy customers, right? So yeah, we're it, definitely it is definitely shift. a shift. We're definitely seeing that shift. I mean, if you're at the last HR tech conference or if you've been to any SHRM meetings, right, you've seen that, you know, we've we've gone away from HR not not just being a cost center, but also an extension of legal, <laughs> right, yeah. to um, being a lot more employee-facing, customer-facing, a representative of the brand. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of sh new trends kind of emerge. Uh, what do you think and where do you think HR leaders are going to move forward? Like we're, if you take a look into the future, what kind of – advice would you offer to your peers as to where the future goes and what might happen in the next 18 months? Yeah. So, so, you know, if I could answer that question slightly differently, Ray, um, you know, I, I would want to summarize maybe what are the, the four things that are top of mind for HR today and yeah. how that is going to drive the future. So I, I think the first thing is, you know, going back to the war for talent and the great resignation and the great reckoning, the way I talked about it. If you just look at the number of jobs and in terms of you, you stated this, this data point as well, there's over 10 million jobs, to, uh, job openings today in the US. And if you look at the latest numbers, 4.3 million people quit their jobs in August of 2021. So there is a huge crisis that we are faced with and employers really need to figure out how they differentiate in the market in order to be able to um, attract and retain top talent. So I would say that is the number one top challenge for HR and businesses today. Number two, I'll try to be quick on these, um, employee experience and engagement, you know, over 60% of employees are saying that they're disengaged at work today. Wow. Again, huge number, and this has a direct impact, right, on productivity and business success. Number yeah. three, holistic wellness. 85% of employees say that their well-being has declined wow. due to the pandemic. Mm. And this is holistic wellness, which includes, you know, overwhelm, mental burnout, financial stress, etc. And the fourth and final one I would want to touch on is this culture of inclusion and belonging and making sure that you're addressing the needs of all of the different populations uh, within your employee base. So these are some of the things that are really top of mind. I thought the I password stats one. were scary. The password stats? <laughs> but these are scarier. Disengaged, 85% struggling more. These are, these are unbelievable stats. Wow. I want to wow. touch on the last one on inclusion, which is interesting. Um, between folks that are working from home, folks are in the office, we're seeing a lot of interesting tension um, with remote work and hybrid work uh, in terms of people feeling that they're included in meetings or people feeling that they're in conversations. And we've talked to a lot of managers over the last, I'd say, three weeks. And there seems to be an interesting consensus that you're either all at home or you're either all in the office and everything in between is too hard to do. What are you seeing? 
you know, there is no right or wrong answer, yeah. I would say, to that question. It really depends on uh, on the business and what, you know, how you want to set up your, your systems. But, you know, we, as I said, we're fully remote, but hybrid, I think, at a minimum is going to be where we will probably settle somewhere in the middle of, you know, two to three days in the office or two to three days remote. It's kind of the the happy medium where you get to engage, right? You can never take away the the power of that physically being able yeah. to see somebody, right. you know, in person. Um, I don't think that will get replaced in the long term. So I think the the truth will lie somewhere in between there. Yeah, and and the other thing was the fact that younger workers didn't have the opportunity to network and build relationships like they wanted to. The other stat that we saw a lot what was going on was workers that were hired in the last 18 months had the highest attrition rates in terms of people leaving. And so that's why I was asking that question on inclusion. It's hard to find a mentor. It's hard to find a sponsor. It's hard. Those hallway conversations, those random collisions, think about it. You're young professional. Yeah, invaluable. Yeah, connection is really key. And you know, the one, one last thought I would leave you guys with is a lot of leaders feels that feel that you need to be strong for your employees. And 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 you know, I think vulnerability is an important yeah. thing. And to be to show that it, you're vulnerable too, and and I think that really creates a great connection with your teams because they feel like you're right there with them. You're going through and experiencing the the same things that you're going through. Awesome, so. you are a trailblazer. I don't care what you saw on LinkedIn. You are a unique trailblazer. Let's get the LinkedIn stuff. Thank yeah. you, Paula. We can't, can't wait to read your book. Wow, so much wisdom. Awesome. I did no, no peer pressure. You know, I'm not writing a book. I'm about to tweet. Neha is coming out with a book, 2022. Sorry. We we need to get your book out there so you can actually get going. No, we'll we'll write one with you. We'll we'll write one with Sounds you. Like We're here Thanks with Neha Merchandani, CMO and head of people at Bright Plan. You can follow her on Twitter. Twitter at N-M-I-R-C-H-I. looks like an early Twitter follower as well. So <laughs> thanks a lot for being on the show and happy Friday. Thank you so much. That was awesome. I, I mean, it, you know, as a former CMO, I, I remember spending a lot of time with my CHRO just, just uh, on, on campaigns, and, but it was accidental. I never really thought about getting someone who leads the people success part to ensure that how we go to market is meaningful, purposeful, uh, it's you know can connect with stakeholders. It just makes so much sense. Uh, but it is oh, unique. Yeah, we've, brand again, alignment. we've done 800 yeah. interviews almost. We've never had a CMO. She's the CHRO. first. Yeah, and we had the uh, first. You know, we had head of Workday, founder of Workday, on our show, and we talked about trends. And and Neil Bushry never really talked about HR and marketing merging. So I I think it's pretty trailblazing work. It's pretty awesome. Okay, speaking of trailblazers, we got more coming next Friday. Uh, Stephen Goldbach. CSO of Deloitte will be on the show. We got Jeff Tuff, senior leader of innovation practice at Deloitte as well. So we're tag teaming. Jeff and Stephen are going to tag team and give us Deloitte research. And we got our favorite media co-founder, Jeff Reed, co-founder of Diginomica, who always brings his A game and has great lists of things uh, that we should watch out for in terms of technology and business. Yeah, and John Reed, uh, not, not only is he coming in, we've got a special guest, Dion Hinchcliffe, will also jump in as well. So wow, uh, right. that up. So, so episode 255, put on your seatbelts, bring your popcorn, it's gonna be amazing. Okay, uh, recap of today's show. I mean, God, I had no idea so much innovation happening in the password space. Chef is the smartest service expert I know. 
And of course, Neha just blew us away with her nuggets in terms of what the future of work would look like and her incredible statement that the future is now. So don't wait for, you know, these new trends. Don't wait. Don't, yeah, wait. don't wait. It's happening. It's <laughs> happening as we speak. It's happening. So, Ray, uh, yeah, your thoughts. <laughs> and of course, you got oh, to Great, thanks. After those guys, after those guys, what can I add? No, but but look, we are seeing massive shifts and, and people realize that in the midst of crisis, innovation occurs. This is one of the things, how we work, where we work, when we work, that's changing. Our expectations in terms of what's happening in the world of service is changing. That whole notion of biometrics, how we interface, machine computer interfaces are changing the way uh, we interact. Things are going to be seamless. They're going to be ambient, but they're going to be more secure. So I'm really looking forward to this, but we are at the beginning of this massive revolution at the beginning of a decade, you know, it may seem like it's been awful so far, but it's going to be really good towards the end. And that's all we can say. So, but Hey, everybody, thanks for being here. Happy Friday. And uh, if it's Friday, it's disrupt TV, 11 AM Pacific, 2 PM Eastern, almost every Friday, uh, though we won't have a show on the 29th because the constellation connected enterprise for those who are attending it's October 25th through the 28th at the half moon Bay Ritz. So we hope to see you all there. So thanks a lot. So Bye. take care.